0: You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe.
1: Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, your host, tour director, and guide on this journey As we do so often here, we try to talk about a lot of different things that affect business life and having companies with teams that can be high achievers, high performers. And in the whole spirit of talking about high performing teams, there's nothing more critical than the starting point. How do you identify talent? How do you bring them in properly? And how do you know you've perfected the right fit. And if you're a candidate out there looking for a new job or a job change, you have the same kind of burden. How do you know you're going to fit at the company you're entertaining the idea of joining? So today I've got someone who's going to help us dig into all of that, connect some dots, and hopefully give you some ideas and solutions for better practices. Her name is Catherine McCord. Catherine, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I am excited to be here because this is one of my favorite topics. And it's it's something that we all need to be talking about and that we need to be jumping into the innovation pool with.
1: I agree totally. Markets are ever changing and practices are ever changing. And, and folks, when we were in the green room, Catherine and I were having a, a good discussion. And I, I, quite frankly, I hope we can recreate it here on the show <laughs> Me be, too. because I, I was serious. What I said on the lead in, you know, this whole idea of talent acquisition, that's the tip of the spear. That's. That's where kind of everything starts, and I, I believe me, I know business owners in the uh, privately held world that the thought of adding someone to their staff—they they would rather have needles in their eyes and go go through that process. It's true because they're just afraid of the process. And I think the fear comes from a fundamental lack of knowledge, lack of experience, and even lack of ability in being able to do the process and do it well, screen properly, yes. evaluate properly and make choices. So
0: Absolutely. They're not taught. They're not taught. It's just, oh, poof, you're a leader. Well, I guess you know how to interview and and find talent now. No. Why would we ever assume that? That's insane. You wouldn't get somebody, uh, you know, who's just been in, in, in a classroom and go, okay, go perform open heart surgery. That I mean, makes no sense. They, you know, they've, they've heard of it, that, you know, a medical student has read about it, but they've never seen it. They've never done it. They've never practiced it. They've never been taught hands-on. And right. that's the piece that we are missing so desperately and so pathetically for these leaders out there right now.
1: Yeah. So, so before we get into the meat of this thing, tell us a little bit about your background and where you came from, and why it is you're now doing what you do.
0: So many years ago, I was in the hiring manager. I don't know why I can't talk today. Sorry, I was in the hiring manager position. And I, you know, I did a lot of leadership and bringing on different staff and, and hands-on management, that type of thing. I even had the privilege of doing so for the travel partner to the Dallas Cowboys at one point, one of the best experiences of my life. I then moved into recruiting and to headhunting and saw, and it was great and it was fun, but I saw how broken everything was, so I decided I was going to strike out and do it better, so ever since then, I've been doing what I call people operations consulting, so everything on the human side of HR, and then also traveling the, now the globe, it used to just be national, now it's international, teaching best practices on inclusion and best hiring practices and how to truly innovate hiring.
1: (sighs) I was on a uh, call the other day and we got into the idea of when you're in the hiring process trying to uh, really figure out how to do the best job at evaluating the fit that you're looking for you you if you're the manager you've you've got an idea in your mind you know what you need out in a certain position but how do you quantify that calibrate that and translate that into questions and testing and analysis to really challenge the candidate sitting across the table from you.
0: Right. And in the right way, right? Because I think because so many managers get confrontational and bizarre about things that have nothing to do with the actual job. (laughs) And it's it's very peculiar to me. So one of the first things that I that I teach and that I preach very heavily is mission alignment, whether it's on the candidate side or the company side, mission alignment. And I want to be very clear what that is. So yes, mission it, missions is what drives you. That is that powerful, you know, you that deep in your soul aspect, right? And even in a company, it's it's the beating heart of why. It's your why. You know, that, that's what it's all about. And so, you know, I've had people go, oh, well, I really enjoy customer service. Okay, that's not a mission break that down into the into its core. So for me, my missions are integrity, innovation, inclusion. Every single thing I do is in furtherance of those three missions, period. If it's not, I don't do it. <laughs> At least two of the three. <laughs> it's got to be. So I, and, and this is the same thing for companies. So mission alignment. Is this person going towards what I'm doing? And then also your goals, aligning your goals. So if a company's goal is to create better energy sustainability, and they bring in somebody who you know enjoys driving giant SUVs and refuses to ever give it up, and wants, you know, and, and doesn't care about the environment, doesn't care about you know all of those types of things, that doesn't care about sustainability in general, that's not gonna be a good fit. It doesn't matter how talented they are at the meat and potatoes of the job, they're not the right fit for you.
1: Right, yeah.
0: So that's where you start.
1: And, and I, I, I... Even as simple if I can say it that way, as simple as that is to say, it is incredibly hard to do. And for
0: some people, not for everybody. Some, for yeah. some, yeah.
1: <laughs> but but what I'm thinking about is also the notion that companies, bigger companies in particular, spend a lot of time and money trying to define their definition of mission, vision, and purpose. And, you know, they put the big gold letters up on the wall in the headquarters and they open the door and say, voila, here's who we are. Well, you got to look around the team. And if two thirds of your team don't align with that, you can't be that.
0: Exactly. And that's true from the get go. So first of all, companies, and I've seen this a lot, so very much to your point, companies a lot of times will start with the product and then try to find a mission. No, that is backwards. You start with the mission and, and sometimes it's, it's coincides, right? Cause sometimes you see a product and then it, you get your mission immediately from that. Right. So that's okay. But it, the, you can't put the cart before the horse on this one. There has to be mission from the get-go and goals from the get-go. Uh, right. Now you can readjust them, you know, as you go, if, if things shift and all that's okay. Evolution is just part of business as part of life, but that's very, very important but the, to your point too, if you're looking around and you realize that the hires that you're making are not aligning, that's a problem. So, you know, I do a lot of talks on inclusion, and one of the things that I teach about a lot is you know, t- kind of taking quote inventory of your staff and where they're at on their inclusion, because it's not just your CEOs, it's not just your directors, it's not just HR, it is everyone in the organization and if you have someone being uninclusive and you're saying that you want to be an inclusive organization then they need to go and you can try to talk to them and help them for a small period but if they're not getting it because it's a very simple concept (laughs) then go then you've got to let them go and the same thing is true for everything else again back to the analogy of the of the sustainability focused company you know if you have someone that's just not not on the same page then that's not the best fit for you
1: Right. Yeah. Very powerful. Well, well, let's spend a minute. Let's uh, let's turn the page or turn the table, I guess, as it would. Let's let's talk about the candidate side of this venture and this uh, challenge. So what is it that you do when you speak to someone who is deciding to make a career change or job change? What where do you typically start with them?
0: Oh, a lot of times what's interesting to me is that a lot of people know that they want to make a change, but they don't know to what, right? A lot of times, or they'll have one thing in their mind, but once they start to explore that, it sort of pivots. So the first thing that I like to to talk to people about is get get some experience around the things that you're considering, and also just do some general research. So I was just part of a, a brilliant presentation that's part of the HR Disruptor Summit, that where we were talking about how to use Boolean search strings, uh, which is just a simple computer language. You can Google that. It's B-O-O-L-E-A-N, search strings in terms of how to do it, and just using different words, not including job or, or employment or anything like that, but just different search words that are about your mission, what you want to be doing, the things that drive you, seeing what pops up, and then exploring that. And just kind of, and then there again, you can kind of get back into the mission and the goal alignment, right? And find some creative ways, which I'm sure we'll dive into that in a moment, some creative ways to reach out to these folks and kind of step out of the mold and stand out. So starting with that, exploring, also remembering that while you have relevant skills, and probably some that you're not even aware are relevant, the best thing that you can do, first of all, I'm going to say start by figuring out what your best assets are the transferable assets that no matter where you go and a lot of times the things that seem like they're specific to one industry or one particular type of role truly are not because when you break them down into what you know what what all that means so for instance i was a fantastic sourcer when i was first in recruiting i am also that also therefore makes me a great researcher so it kind of, you know kind of figure out how that that transfers so set all that up set up your assets and then start really breaking down you know, the, the things that you want to communicate to other people working on that. But I will tell you, one of the biggest mistakes I see some of these people making is thinking because I, I need to make this much money or I want to make this much money. And because I was a director in this industry, they're going to have to hire me as a director or I'm not taking it over here. Well, that's just not realistic because leadership people need to have a different level of understanding. So you can find well-paying jobs, but you're going to probably have to be realistic and take a step back or two in terms of title and and level, and then work your way back up just simply realistically, because you can't have a leader who's supposed to have the answers and solve the problems who doesn't who doesn't have any experience in in what you're doing. That doesn't really make very much sense.
1: Yeah. I like that idea of sort of taking that inventory of assets and and looking at them from the view of what is transferable and what is usable in other scenarios. And as you were saying that, I remembered a client I had a couple of years ago, a young lady who her whole life was in secondary education. That's what her degrees were in. She was a music major, so she had music teaching skills. But after about 10 years in that arena, she was just fried. She said, I've got to get out for my own mental health. I've got to do something different. And how in the world do I make the pivot to corporate? So we sat down and through a series of, of meetings, I said to her, Stop thinking about what you do as a high school music teacher. Stop right. That. Right. Let's let's look at the work. Let's look at the substance of the task, and let's start framing those things in language that fits business. Yes. And she did a really good job of. She, she was definitely a smart young lady, but she did a really good job of packaging all that, and then when I saw what she was talking about and I I asked her, I said, is this really your, to use your word, is this really your sense of mission in life or or Mm -hmm. vision and purpose? And she said, yes, I love doing this. I just don't like doing it for high school kids anymore. (laughs) Fair enough. I said, okay, well, understood. (laughs) So I said, guess what? You are a, a, a training and talent development person. Mm-hmm. I said yep. you're you're talking to me about creating curriculum that can advance people in their role and in their life and in their yes. career. I said so we need to focus your energy with the talent development world and she said yeah. I don't I don't know what that means and and I had some, you know, connections and experience. I introduced her to some people and she hopped on a plane and went to the national conference the uh, a s t d folks were having a big conference in Florida, and she just showed up and started walking the hall and She got three job offers at See? the conference
0: and I tell people that all the time people <laughs> underestimate the power of conferences in your job search, not yeah. just networking events, which yes, you should be doing, especially industry relevant ones, but go to conferences, go to small business expos, go to places where Folks will be hiring or people or there are companies who are obviously hiring somewhere and go interact and and showcase yourself and you'll stand out. Most people don't do this. So go out and just let them meet you. That's half the battle right there, right? Is getting in front of people. Well, that's your opportunity. Walk right, right up to them and say, hey, here I am. Right. Uh, I've done that. Right. I've got an accidental job offer. I'm not even looking, but people meet me and they talk to me and then they'll go, oh, you should come work for us you know, and it's, it's wonderful. And what we're really talking about here is the opposite, is that, well, not the opposite, the flip side of something that I talk about all the time with on the corporate side, which is to quit creating the ideal candidate profile, because you're creating a, 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 a metric that isn't realistic and it's very limiting. You're saying this is the only right that can be. Well, the same thing, candidates do the same things to themselves. They're saying, well, this is all I've done. So clearly that's all I'm, qualified to do. right, uh, And then when they communicate that on their resume, again, we're, I know we're going to talk about this. I hate resumes so much because people, as they stand right now, I am not a fan because it's a bunch of, of what I did. It's your history. It's, it's, and it doesn't tie in well to what you're going to be doing and what you're really capable of. You know, what you did do, okay, fine, but ultimately, and I used to tell people this all the time as a recruiter, I don't care. What can you do for me now? What can you do for me? That's great that you did all that, yay for you, but what can you do for me? And so what you want to communicate are those things, and just how you guided that young lady. You know, look at all these great skills you have. Just take that and and show other people and talk to other people about that.
1: Right. Yeah, so I, I think the the key point there is the idea that if if and again we're talking about the candidate side of things for a moment, mm-hmm. yes. If if you've got this history, you might be guilty of falling in that box. Somebody painted a picture for you. Yes. You served in that role. You might have done well with it, but again, I like your point. Basically, so what? <laughs> Kudos for you, okay. congratulations, <laughs> but let's look forward. What are we going to do in the future? Mm-hmm. So in, in back in the day when I was doing my career transition nonprofit organization, we had a principal. I even encouraged people as they were building their job histories to be careful about the titles they used for those roles. Yes. Because... Yes. You pigeonhole yourself if the title is not transferable to the place you want to go.
0: 100%. I always tell people to use descriptive titles and people, that's lying. No, it's not. You're, you're describing what you're doing. Job titles are all fooey anyway. I mean, good grief. I, Bank of America is one of the worst examples out there of making calling people assistant vice presidents and VPs who have no level of executive function whatsoever.
1: Right, so right.
0: job titles are just silly. Just call yourself whatever you want, you know, whatever just actually describes what you did.
1: Well, and I told people, and you, and you hit a nerve there, Catherine, you know, I'm an old banker, so uh, be careful. <laughs> um, but, but you know what I mean about the job titles. They're she, very bizarre. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I agree totally. And, and that's, that's my point. I, that's exactly what I told my folks. I, I said, you know, when I was in banking and I needed a per, a new role on my team, I would go to HR and say, I want to create a job. I want to have a person and they need to do X, Y, and Z. And then HR would inevitably. Say, so what do you want to call it? And I would say, I don't care. Yeah, I don't cares. care what we call it. <laughs> and I said, I know you've got standards and grids and charts and you know, tic-tac-toe boards. And I said, Call it whatever you want to. I don't, don't care. care. Yeah, and God love the person that came to work for me. They got stuck with that title on their resume forevermore. And <laughs> and and it genuinely, in the spirit of the business, meant nothing. Right, nothing, Yeah, yeah it's just it it's administrative just, convenience.
0: Exactly, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's it just as you know, we always talk about that there are plenty of people who are leaders on teams who don't have a title to go with it. So you know, so express yourself from the candidate side. What you want to do is express yourself in a way that showcases your true talents, your true gifts, what you bring to the table, and then align that with the role. That's the second piece, is you have to learn to eloquently communicate what it is that you can do, not focusing on what you've done in the past, and then tie it into what you can do for them. Every single answer that you give in an interview, on an application, anything like that, should tie into what you can do for them.
1: Well, Catherine, I, we could go on and on about this. What I'd like to do is, days. <laughs> is punch the punch the fast forward button a little bit. Let's talk about trends and emerging mindsets that you see in the market now, based on our our experience coming out of COVID. Obviously, employee mm-hmm. mindsets have changed. Employer mindsets have changed. Yes. Where is the convergence of this going from, from what you see?
0: Oh, it's, it's a fascinating topic because so many things are pivoting. And, and it's the first time that I've seen a market in which somehow magically both candidates and employers are in power, but in different areas of the job search. It's really incredible. And you see a lot of effort, although a lot of a lot of it's kind of a miss. So hopefully we'll keep growing and pivoting towards inclusion and towards a better application process. So that's one of the biggest things I'm seeing on the company side is an effort to do better in terms of getting the talent to, you know, in, in the door, so to speak, and, and to understand what the talent truly brings. And then from the candidate side, I'm seeing my favorite trend I think I've ever seen in the candidate market, which is insistence on being a priority and on their needs being a priority throughout the process. And I love that. I love that candidates are saying no to these insane interview processes that have six steps for <laughs> a basic role. They're saying, I want you to be inclusive of me. So if this is my need, you're just gonna have to deal with it, accommodate. Sorry for you. You know, they're saying these are the benefits I want. This is the pay that I want. We're moving away from this shyness of negotiation. And and people are just saying out loud what they need and they're expecting it and they're expecting companies to step up and it's fantastic and it's creating some cool evolutions and it's starting to get people realizing that something's broken but the the company side hasn't figured it out yet which is kind of crazy because we're the ones that are in a position to have the expertise to actually start doing the changes and to come together but it's just not happening they're trying to throw band-aids at it but the candidate market is pushing back and saying, that's not good enough this time. Right. Keep going.
1: Uh, two thoughts come to mind on that. I've got a talent acquisition friend here locally that um, talks about this. And he said, uh, to your point, the kind of antiquated hiring process, the, the notion of six steps and five panel interviews, and we got to get a vote from all the panel <laughs> members and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it extends the timeline way too long. And he tells his okay. client companies, You've got to make a decision. Do you like this candidate or not? And you got yes. to give an answer today, not yes. not tomorrow, not next. Good for week. him. And um, he, but he said it's a it's a uphill climb. You know, companies yes. are still slow to make that pivot and embrace that change. the The other thing that came to mind was I was talking with a, a, a talent acquisition professional out of Canada. And he has totally revamped his approach to it. And he said recently he had a, a brand new company come to him, want to engage his services. And they said, we've got mandatory in-office 40 hours a week. And he said, non-starter, I'm not yeah. taking you Done. as a Nope. We I'm we're done. Yeah, we yeah. I, I I can't fulfill that expectation. Mm-mm. And they said, "Well, surely there's people." And he said, "Nope, there really aren't." Nope. <laughs> hybrid, people will do hybrid. Not, that's not for, that's comment. Right, yeah. Right. But they
0: won't do they won't do the mandatory 40 and, anymore and, unless you know, you're a nurse or doctor.
1: Right. Or manufacturing or heavy industrial kind of thing. Right. And he told him that he said, because you're not one of those companies, I think it was a tech company. He said, he said, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to embrace that. You know, you're, you go find somebody else. I'm not your guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And good for him. I do the same thing. I I have to filter people out. Like, no, your expectation is not reasonable. We're not doing this. And the, the, on the talent acquisition side, the biggest problem that we have, the reason that all of this grinds to a halt and it takes so long, is that companies are not giving autonomy to the people, the hiring team, to the hiring managers. If you're, a, for instance, if you're a director and you insist, or a CTO or whatever, and you insist on being in the interview process for you know, an entry level or mid level employee, anybody below management, then you don't trust your managers and either you need to do some work on yourself or you need new management, period, end of story. If you trust your managers and you trust their expertise, then the hiring process goes HR slash recruiting, manager done, <laughs> that's it, yeah. that's all you need to do. Yeah. And and you don't, and now if you just wanna do a meet and greet and say hi and let them ask you questions, that's okay. I'm not talking about that, that's fine. But if you still feel the need to actually be part of that talent selection process, if you just then you're either a control freak or <laughs> you don't trust your managers, one of the, one or the two. And it's also very draining then on executive time, which then causes all kinds of other pro- problems Absolutely. surrounding that. And it's hard. And I get it. I, this is coming from someone who has had to struggle not to control everything. <laughs> because I'm very much that way. So I like to be very clear about that, that I understand the pain of letting go, but you have to do it. You have to let go and you have to to trust. And from the candidate perspective, this just creates a nightmare when there's no trust because then there's the the, the long interview process. Then there is the insane process just to get an offer out because people, for some reason, are incapable of sending an email right after an interview, something I've never been able to understand, but it's just true. People just are not capable of doing that, and so it just everything takes forever. Now, when I work with my clients, I set very clear expectations ahead of time. Of the second the interview is done, you send me <laughs> you send me the feedback and let me know you know what's coming next, or once a day update is also acceptable. Um, we kind of set very specific expectations, but it's hard for candidates. Because they get stuck in just all of this craziness, and it's just caused by lack of trust and or being controlling.
1: I've heard a lot of chatter out there about uh, things like ghosting on both sides of the, you know, a good candidate shows up, the employers all get excited, whatever their process may be, they really think they want this person and then they they try to follow up and and the candidate is not responding just poof yep. they're they've ghosted mm-hmm. and conversely and and this this has been true for a long time and it's sad and unacceptable but nonetheless true employers that ghost the candidates yes you know. okay i did my third round of interviews now what's the word you know yes or yeah. no you know yeah, am hello. I am <laughs> and silence you know radio silence so, what are you? Number one, what are you seeing now, and what are you telling people to do about that? You, I mean, you kind of alluded to it with the status I, report back.
0: Yes. No, you're you're absolutely right. So, ghosting has been a long time. So, first, I'm going to address on the company side um, when when companies are ghosting candidates. It's one of two things. They are either not keeping themselves well organized and not setting reminders or they have not been taught that you still need to to communicate even if you don't know. It's one of those two things. And it's unacceptable because it's extremely easy to fix. You have reminders that you can set in your system. Typically, every email system out there has reminders. You can use your calendar. It is unacceptable to not give a candidate some sort of touch point uh, and within a reasonable time frame, that's absolutely insane and it's incredibly rude and it's something that i've always I've always preached against. And if any of my clients ever pull that nonsense, the candidate at least hears from me <laughs> and knows that i'm that I'm working on it. Um, and then the client typically gets fired unless they get it together. Then on the other side, and this is this is opinion based off of different candidates that I finally hounded until I made them get back to me. This is talking to other recruiters. This is talking to candidates who have done it that weren't my candidates, but candidates that did it. It's two things on the candidate side, and both of which are making me infuriated. One is a very selfish. You know, well, I don't I don't want to tell them I got another job. I don't want to tell them I want to do it. So I'm just going to avoid them. It's awkward. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> I'm sorry, but grow up. <laughs> you know, be be respectful. You don't want somebody to do that to you. Get over it and send them the email. And it can be email. You don't have to call them. I understand if you want to do an awkward phone call. That's okay. Email them, text them, however you've been, you know, however you've been communicating. That is perfectly acceptable. Let them know. And then you're done. And trust me, they appreciate that. You are not, um, you are not being disrespectful. You're not hurting their feelings. They may be kind of bummed you didn't come on, but they're going to appreciate the respect that you showed for for reaching out to them, just as you would. On the flip side, you wouldn't want a job to go. Oh well, we just don't want to have to tell them that we don't want them. So, you know, that's kind of like in that movie, Office Space, where they don't want to have to c- confront Milton to fire him. So they just yeah. kind of quit paying him and moving him down to the basement. You know, right. it's kind of the same kind of thing. No, have the conversation, you know? Right. Um, and then the other reason is that, again, back to the organization. Candidates get a new job. So their mind is like, oh, well, I got a job. I'm good. And then they just forget to ever kind of circle back and go. So again, candidates need to organize just the same way. And, and just use your Google Calendar, your Apple Calendar, whatever in the world it is that you use, and just set little reminders for yourself. And if you get that new offer, and you get that job, celebrate, enjoy it, that's a great day. But by the next day, just go ahead and shoot out those little emails or texts and let the other companies know. Because you never know, and you're going to need to circle back to them. Just want right, to put that out right. there. Yeah.
1: let's come back to the employer side of it and we'll we'll kind of make this our home stretch here Um, so for those owners managers and executives that maybe feel like they've never gotten the training for conducting a good interview and, and and more importantly really assessing the opportunity you know they they know in their mind what they need in their team now they're looking at a candidate and coming up with that assessment process or some evaluation criteria, what do you see as best practices for overcoming that?
0: I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? You cut out just a little bit. Oh yeah, I'm
1: sorry. It's the whole idea of if 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 I'm a manager or company owner or executive and I, I feel like I struggle making a good assessment of candidates that come to sure. me, I know what I need on my team, but I'm looking at somebody, I'm reading resume or whatever they provided me. And, uh, you know, how do I really best evaluate that and, and make that decision about the fit?
0: Number one is look for somebody who's going to be excited about the work. And you can always kind of tell on a resume, right? Like you can always kind of see, like, oh, this is always the first thing that they circle back to. Like of every single position, this is the thing that they went on and on about. You know, instead of just one little line on the resume, there's five lines about this one little, one little tiny piece. So look for that. Look and excitement type words. Look for that. Look for that level of excitement. Look for people who are trying to grow, who have that growth mentality for that particular need. Um, And then look for somebody who has done the type of work. How do I say this? Somebody who has done relatable work. That's a good word for it. Relatable work. So it doesn't have to be the exact thing, but something that when you look at it, you feel a connection to it in terms of that role. You know, if I'm I'm in there doing that role, oh, I have something to talk about with this person because they've done something kind of similar, right? So for instance, I've never in my life done physician recruiting. It's its own beast. It's its own little animal. But with what I've done, I can sit there and talk to a physician recruiter all day long. The same thing with, uh, I have a dear friend who is a, who was a principal at schools for years. And we talk about hiring. We're on very much the same kind of level, right? Because she was in charge of hiring and building out a hiring system for an entire school. So I build out hiring systems for companies. We have something in common, right? (laughs) So kind of, kind of sit yourself in that like you're going to sit there and have a conversation with somebody about this role and and you're looking for somebody to network with and talk to that will relate to you and when you read something on on a resume profile whatever it is and go yeah I want to I have something to say to that person reach out to them
1: got it <clears throat> I like that well that um, definitely I'm glad you
0: didn't think it was stupid I would have felt real bad <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think that is helpful. And I, I was just replaying in my mind a couple of scenarios that, uh, you know, knowing that you really try to dial in to that energy and that attitude and, and that experience. You know, there, there is a lot that's been written of late, or at least it's crossed my radar about, you know, hiring for attitude and teaching for skills. Yes. So a lot of times companies have it the other way around. They hire for skills and then they think they can shape attitude. And it's like, oh my God, are you kidding? Yeah.
0: So you think you can change humans, huh? How's that going in life? Let me know. Because <laughs> if the person who figures that out is going to be a billionaire, because oh, yeah. that's something yeah. that nobody's
1: figured out. Yeah. No, no. That, and, and and not to digress into a whole other realm, but that's the that's the one area where AI will never overcome the human experience.
0: Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, and I actually I will say that because th- there is some some relevance because I've had a lot of people afraid of AI uh, taking over their careers, things like that. Right now, essentially, there there are only one or two AI programs that are taking over jobs that were going away anyway. That, that that people had started to realize, oh, this can be part of something else. This, you know, in other words, those kind of jobs that aren't usually their own jobs, but you know, they're they're kind of pieced into other things. So that's kind of what's happening. AI is not anywhere near the level of being able to replace human contact. In fact, I correct a lot of companies on that that I see at HR tech conventions that tell me that their technology can replace recruiters. I say, all right, let's play that game. <laughs> And I sit there and I'll go game through on. things. And, yeah. yeah, game on, you know, knuckle crack. And then, and then you have no idea who you just said that to. And then we sit down <laughs> and we go through it and I show them everything that, that their technology missed. I go through the whole thing and they're just in their you know, jaw agape. And I say, look, your technology has great aspects. It's a great tool. Here's how I would start talking about it because what you're saying is not true. And then just kind of flip it. And I don't know if they, you know, now I only had one company circle back and say they actually did change. They showed me what they, what they started doing, which was great, but it's true that that's not going to happen. Folks don't, don't freak out. (laughs) It's
1: okay. So in your bio and in your material, you talk about killing the resume. Let's, let's talk about that (laughs) as we close out of here.
0: I hate resumes
1: so much.
0: (laughs) So much as, as they stand right now. Uh, and as you discussed, you earlier in the green room, you and I had, had a conversation and I loved what you were saying about how you taught people to to innovate their resumes because that's very much in alignment with what I like to do. Uh, so number one, resumes create bias. They're not an effective way to communicate a candidate's abilities as they currently stand. You can look look up different research that's been done on this topic including by Harvard they actually there was a whole study that was done it was very fascinating so i always tell people they're just not effective we've got to stop we got to cut it out so instead instead so we want to fire the resume and instead there's a couple of solutions that i like to use one is to use a what i call forward facing resume in other words here's here's what I'm looking to do, here's what I'm excited to do, here's how I can do it. So the how, you want to put your why in there, and then the what, the what you're looking to do. So that's a kind of a generic format that we could start using to be able to send out to different you know types of employers. Then also, I love, and, and I designed a technology accordingly, but it doesn't need to be my technology. Somebody else could do something similar, where the you know, coming from a hiring manager perspective, I understand the things that people need to see. And I also don't want to jar them and completely throw them into, into the deep end of innovation, because that could be a bit scary, right? So I, I like to, I, I, what I created was a technology that was designed by the diverse for the diverse, and that was designed by hiring professionals for hiring professionals. And so it has, it, it is literally designed to be read the way that hiring teams think of things. So, you know, at the top, it's you know a one liner like creative tagline. Then it's a skill match of these are our top skills. How do you rank? <laughs> you know, then what else you got? Then it's here's the projects you're going to be doing. Tell us about the projects that you've done that are that are uh, relevant. It's like little one liners. We're not talking like we want to know all the single details. It's one to two sentence answers. Um, so you do that, and then it kind of goes from there. So, it, it aligns them to the role. And helps them forward face, and then also masks their personal information and all of that to eliminate bias. So that's one solution. There are other ways that that can be done, but just things along that type of line. And then considering, you know, neurodiversity, things like that, having very specific questions, having clarification for questions available, so that people are not left sitting there going, "I don't know what you want from me." Um, and also, it's very important not to ask interview questions and in application processes. I just want to throw that out there. That's also a pet peeve. No. But but that's how you get rid of it. That's how you fire this old, antiquated, burned-out resume. Is you make everything forward-facing and 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 about mission and alignment, and and take away all of the here's you know the obituary. As you it should which
1: just slayed me. Yeah, I had told uh, I had told Catherine when we were in the green room back again back in my days when running the career transition nonprofit organization I did in the two thousand eight two thousand thirteen time frame. <laughs> We taught a principle that the traditional resume was nothing more than an obituary. And so writing your obituary is not what you want to do when you're looking for a job. So oh. we, we were actually encouraging people then to to do more of the, uh, our focus was on creating statements of value that could be that right. forward thinking, you know, here's what I can do for you. Right. Right. And we took it one step further. It, it's literally, if, if you're sitting in the employer's shoes, the question is, how can you make me money or save me money? Those yes. are the two options. Yeah, that's <laughs> <And> it. <laughs> any, anything else you do is non-consequential. And, you know, we don't hire yes. for pretty faces. We, yeah. you know, we, we, need, we need contribution. Yes. So. Um, that was the mindset shift that, that we began making all the way back then, 2008, 2009, yes. 10. And it was amazing how many people would push back against that. And it's like, oh, yeah, oh, that's not how I've done my resume in the past. Well, you know, okay. but it works. It as works. The, as the now popular <laughs> phrase says, what got you here won't get you there <laughs> <Yeah.
0: So. laughs> yeah. Innovation and, and being and doing something that just makes sense always works. You know what I mean? When you, If you just start doing it, and ultimately that's how we have to get rid of the antiquated version of the resume, is just start changing it. Just Candidates just need to quit submitting this nonsense. Change it, and then the employers will go, okay. You know, <laughs> and, just, and well, just roll with it, you know?
1: And, and just and the start pushing you- it. The point I made when we were talking in the green room is you got to go back to the core reason for doing a resume. What, why yes. do you do a resume? Yes. It, it is essentially a glorified calling card that gets mm-hmm. a prospective hiring manager's attention so that you'll get the call to come in for the interview. Right. And if you can accomplish that with a different story in a different form, Wonderful, oh, Hallelujah! Yes, and, and the only tipping point or tripping point that I can think of is the automation process now of onboarding and the applicant tracking mm-hmm. systems. If if you too radically change the format and submit that, is the ATS going to read it properly and even get you into the queue? That's the that's the real question.
0: Well, a lot of ATSs nowadays, and 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 this is relatively new. Are not weeding out anymore. There are a few of the older ones that are still, you know, doing that, that are reading and some of these new technologies that think that they're their AI is good as a recruiter. But typical ATSs are no longer filtering out for people. Everything gets through unless you adjust that setting. So all of these creative, and I know because I had one that was. That was this way. And it would send me the most interesting things that people had come up with, especially when I did like my graphic design positions and such. Some of the things I got from those folks was just incredible. Uh, one person sent me a, a comic book of, of their resume. And it was genius. It was freaking genius for that type of position. That was great. Obviously, they got a call. Um, but they will let them through. The only thing that you can't send through images uh ATS is still will not accept that. It still needs to be PDF. Just... Yeah. PDF word and don't put your picture on it. Uh, PDF or word and 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 send it through. But but this layout is does not need to be so shocking if you still sort of structure it appropriately. So instead of the summary, you know, start with the section that we talked about of, you know, your forward that you know, your your what you're trying to do, right? Whatever, whatever that is, your objective, however you want to call it and then, which a lot of people don't typically read, so you're going to need to do something to make sure that they read that. Instead, in other words, don't put so much on the job descriptions at all so that they read that, because then they're going, okay, well, that's what you gave me to read, so that's what I'm going to look at. Um, Put some, put your skills right up there at the top in bullet, you know, in bullet points. That's what people want to see. They want to see what you can do. They want you to make their lives easier. They want you to solve this problem, and they want you to help Make the money. So it is <laughs> so very simple. Put your skills up there at the top and put your why on there and, and your mission and how your mission aligns with theirs. That right there gets you so very far. And don't put and don't put anything strange um, or that could be discriminatory. Don't talk about your kids ever, 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 ever. Not on your LinkedIn not on your, not on anything professional. If your TikTok is professional, don't put it on there. Don't put it on your resume. Nada. No. Yeah. Uh, we're all glad that you have kids. We want work-life balance, but that has nothing to do. And so if the first thing you tell an employer is I have kids, then what you've just told them is that's what I'm bringing to the table. And that's the first thing in their head. That's just not good communication skills. So it can also be used to discriminate, so be careful with that, even subconsciously. Um, and then, don't colors are good, but be careful with color usage. Don't make it difficult to read, um, and don't go overboard so that you're just kind of like, "Whoa, what was that to me?" You know. So be be creative and fun, but 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 kind of temperate and make sure that it still makes sense,
1: basically. Yeah, great. Well, Catherine, if folks want to get in touch and learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn. I am on that
0: platform all the time. Uh, occasionally I'm, I, I kind of have a break. I just got back from London. I didn't do very much while I was there, but typically I am always on LinkedIn. So connect with me on LinkedIn, just Catherine McCord. I, I'm one of the few in the United States with my spelling, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and then also you can go to my speaker website, which is kmccordspeaking.com.
1: Okay. Great. Well, as always, folks, we'll have that information in the show notes. You can just click down below and you'll, you'll get uh, access to that. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing. I think this has really been powerful and good information. So appreciate it. Thank
0: you, Doug. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, folks, as always, uh, I want to remind you, we've got a video version of this over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And we have opened up a membership community there on YouTube. So check out all our perks and benefits of becoming a member and a follower of the Leadership Powered by Common Sense community. You can uh, join us over there, see what's going on and uh, take advantage of all the little goodies that we've got in there. But uh, for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, wish you the best, make it a great day.
0: You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense,
1: hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.